Broadcasting from the 10 Hudson Square building, home of WNYC Radio here in Soho, New York, welcome to Brand on Purpose, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies. My guest today is Lena Patadar, co-founder of CoinUp, the donation app that allows users to round up and donate the spare change from their credit and debit card transactions to their choice of qualified nonprofits. Lena's entrepreneurial and consulting background, combined with a personal passion to create a more significant community impact, led to the creation of CoinUp in 2015. The app currently serves over 250 trusted charities, such as healthcare research and supports charities and animal rescues and women's empowerment organizations. By partnering with CoinUp, charities can focus more time on serving their causes and less time on fundraising. CoinUp has empowered regular consumers to give back every day in an easy and accessible way, right on their phones. Lena Patadar, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Thank you so much, Aaron. We're excited to be here. So you guys have had a boatload of PR, but just very quickly explain what sparked the idea behind CoinUp and how does it work? So CoinUp basically came about when we were seeing that the grocery stores and the retailers and restaurants were all starting to round up transactions. We saw that there was cost marketing happening with all these companies and all these different variations, but um. We recognized there was no app that was directly allowing consumers to donate to their charity of choice. Didn't really know why that was. So we just said, let's just go build it. (laughs) We set out to build it. So I've been a serial entrepreneur and um, I've built several other companies. And I guess my passion really lies in innovation. And the fact that I was able to combine that with doing social good was something that I just got so excited about and passionate about because. It's just such a great way to bring your skills together and your passions together to create something significant. Is this your first social impact company that you've created? I know you've been in a lot of startups and whatnot, and you've got a finance background. This is the first one where it's directly, squarely focused on social impact? It is. I've done healthcare before, so it was more of a technology play within the existing medical framework. So that was somewhat a social good, but this is really, truly, yes, direct social good. And the whole passion behind what we're doing and everyone on the team really has a strong foot in the door about social impact, whether they've been been impacted personally or whether they've been involved in the industry for a long time. That's really made a big difference for us to come together. And you launched in 2015, but when did you actually have the idea? I'm just kind of curious from idea to launch, how long that took? We pretty much had the idea in early 2015 and started incorporating and putting things together and finding developers all within that year, pretty much. By, I think it was May 2016, we had an app built and we went to Apple to submit it. Apple promptly turned around and said, we don't accept donation apps, so we can't take this on. And we were completely blown away. We had no idea that that was the obstacle as to why there was no donation apps out there. So we wanted to find out more about why isn't Apple accepting those donation apps? We did some research and we realized that there's just there's a lot of fraud. There's a lot of skepticism in the industry. And of course, Apple didn't really have the expertise with nonprofits and compliance of nonprofits. So it was just something they weren't willing to really jump into. The fact that I've created other companies and been a CFO for so long, especially in the healthcare industry and other industries that are highly compliant, like fintech and financial services, I was able to put together a business model that was very transparent and really pushed back at Apple. So for about three months, I went back and forth with Apple, helping them to understand 
what we did differently with our app, but also trying to understand their concerns so that we could address them within the app. And finally, in August 2016, they said, you know what, no one's ever come to us like this and done it this well. So we're going to approve you as our first donation app. Did you have any ends or you just like another person no. trying to build? Okay. We, so, wow. Yeah, we were just a completely different unknown company. In fact, I've never built an app before. It was just something that was meant to be, I guess. I don't know. The universe just came together and made it all happen with us. Okay. That sounded really stupid, but. <laughs> no, not at all. So does GoFundMe have an app? They do, right? They do not. They do not. Interesting. I did not realize that. So how many apps that are similar to CoinUp have now been approved by Apple since you did that? There's probably about five or six competitors out there now. Well, it's weird because in this space, competitors are good because they're competitors for good. On the other hand, they're still competitors. And I guess the other sweet part is that you've actually opened a door where it was closed previously for others to follow. And that's kind of a good thing. Yeah, I love doing that. It's a huge compliment to us that there's other companies that wanted to do the same thing. So we look at it that way. I think being ahead of the game, first to market is not always the most important thing, but what it's allowed us to do is to learn quickly and be out there getting feedback all the time so we can keep pivoting as we need to, whether it's for the donor side or the nonprofit side, we're able to keep pivoting and addressing customer needs to be stronger, better, faster, quicker. So that advantage of time has helped us a little bit. And you have what, 250 plus charities and nonprofits Yeah, almost right about now? 300 right now. So we do realize there's 1.5 million charities out there and we'd love to get a lot more on board with us. So one thing is about building awareness among the nonprofits that we exist. So we are working heavily on that. But the other side of it is that we're a little bit slower on that because we do vet all of our charities just to make sure that they meet certain minimum standards. So when our donors come to the app, they can be really confident, feel good that someone at least has reviewed these charities to make sure that they're authentic, validated nonprofits. So we can really be the gold standard of nonprofits for them. Not that we're saying one nonprofit's better than the other. We never do anything like that, but it's more about they meet the minimum qualifications. They are a validated 501c3 and your donations, if your accountant approves it, are tax deductible. Are you relying on scores like by Charity Navigator or anything like that as well to pass that test? So it's less about the scores. It's more about are they filing on time? Are their registrations up to date with the state and the IRS? Interesting. And have they been around for a couple of years? Do they try to focus on most of their programs in terms of how they spend their funding? I guess it's a double vetting, right? Isn't it? Because you're vetting them and they're also vetting you. Early days probably is harder. Now it's a little bit easier because you're established. But early days, you're like, hey, I'm starting this app. No, really. And we are going to give you the money once we get the money and all that. So that probably was a little challenging. I mean, that was so difficult for us. Getting the first 20 or 25 charities on board, we were hitting the pavement like all other entrepreneurs talk about, really trying to show them that we're different, that they can trust us, build that trust. You do have to earn that trust, and then you have to maintain it. And then you have to let them know that you are this company that's going to be sustainable because you built trust and a good process, and you have good compliance in place. So that's kind of a constant for us. We have to do that all the time, every year. We also have to be, that's to be part of our brand, that we're communicating that. So that's huge for us. But yeah, the first 2025 nonprofits were really tough. We called every friend and contact that we had and said, hey, give us a chance, give us a chance. And then ultimately we got into a few 
well-known nonprofits. And then I think the other nonprofits felt comfortable as well when they see some of those more well-known nonprofits on board with us, right? It becomes kind of a domino effect. When you're aligning yourself with good partners, it goes a long way. Yeah. And I love your mission, which is really to help them fulfill their mission, right? So they should spend more time on helping those that their charter says they're supposed to help those in need while you can help them fundraise. And I think that's really cool. I guess my question for you, and maybe this is something that you want to get to at some point, when you get a critical mass of, like you said, there's however many charities that are out there, more than a million. My guess is that when there are current events, like as we're recording this, Australia's still on fire you would want to be able to pivot quickly to be able to lean into news and events that's happening. But if those charities aren't signed up, is there like a fast pass or something that you can do to have them on board so that consumers can donate quickly to a charity that's in need that has an urgency to it? So one of the things that separates us from some of the other apps that are out there, and I kind of want to correct myself. So I I believe GoFundMe is an app but their app works a little bit differently. It's for fundraisers. Let me clarify. So there's apps that are natively set up on either iOS store or Google Play. But then there's also websites, right, that are mobile friendly. So they're two different things in a sense. So a lot of companies have websites that are mobile friendly. doesn't mean necessarily an app. So GoFundMe, for example, is an app. They also have an online presence. But their fundraising is all done kind of online. So when you sign up to give, you're giving through their online portal. But also what's very important about GoFundMe is that they do fundraisers. So basically, any individual can go on to GoFundMe and create a campaign fundraiser. So that could be for a charity. It could be for something personal. It could be for the Australian wildfires. That's not the category. This is longer term donations. This is longer term. They're set 501c3, so not for just one campaign. That being said, someone like the American Red Cross could be on our app, or we do have a charity called Third Wave Volunteers, which is amazing. They basically mobilize 50,000 volunteers across the world. So when there is a catastrophe of some sort, of course, there's the first response that goes out there and takes care of everything emergently. And then after all that happens, and there's still a lot to take care of and manage. So Third Wave Volunteers, as the name indicates, go out there towards the next second or third wave where they go out there and they manage the crisis day to day. That's a charity you can give to right now for the Australian wildfires, for example, because they'll ultimately go out there and help manage and control areas. So they did that for Houston when Houston had their hurricanes. They were out there saving lives, saving animals, saving people, and just really managing supplies and everything getting around. So it could be at some point a little bit of a hybridized model because the more charities you have like the Red Cross and I think you call it third wave you have, you could message out to users to say there's something going on right now, whether it's a blood shortage or a catastrophe or disaster. So you could actually do pulse campaigns if you wanted to at some point. That's right. We do it through a nonprofit that's probably established with us. And then whatever campaign might be vital at that moment. And then, of course, you know, things change all the time, but they also need to build reserves. So they have that ready to go for the next, next catastrophe. And I noticed on your website, I don't know if that's all your staff, but you list a bunch of staff. And it's pretty impressive how quickly you've grown. So to be clear, though, you are not a 501c3, but you're a social impact organization. So what that means is we try to keep our fees as low as possible. But what we do take is enough to just sustain the company. 
the staff, the operations, having tech support, and then also marketing. We do quite a bit of marketing with our partners. So when a nonprofit signs up with us, we provide them with a 90-day marketing toolkit. So it's basically a 12-week program where we're providing them with templates and email blasts, newsletter pieces where they can immediately just put that into their current marketing plan because we realize that marketing is a huge time suck for them and they need help with that. But it's also hard to communicate how CoinUp works with them. So we just did the work for them so that they can just use those templates and customize it for their nonprofit and send it out and help them just be efficient about engaging their donors. So one of the things I love about CoinUp is, you can correct me if I'm wrong, your three main values are transparency, social awareness, and compassion, right? Yeah, that's great. You say all of it so well. Well, that was easy. (laughs) Um, So in terms of transparency, though, how does your business model work, though? So my guess is that you're going to take a small percentage for the processing and for maintaining your own operations. And then the majority of the donation then goes to the charity directly. So basically, when a user signs up with us, they select their charity. They select a monthly cap, which we never go over so they can stay in control of their giving. And then they link their credit or debit card with us. Once they set it, they can forget about it. And what happens is with their credit card throughout the month, we're rounding up all their transactions, wherever they go, whether it's the grocery shop, the coffee shops, dry cleaners, we're rounding up all their transactions. And at the end of the month, we compare that to their monthly cap and whatever's lower, we charge their credit card for that amount. So let's say it's $20. We charge the credit card $20. CoinUp takes a 15% fee. The remaining 85% goes directly to their organization. So to be clear, that cap is what, as a user, I'm comfortable with donating in total per month. So my cap could be $100. And if I'm somebody who, which I am because I'm a consumer, I'm going out a lot and eating out a lot, whatever, I could hit that in like a couple of weeks, potentially, based on even buying things, right? If I'm using that credit card. But does anybody ever have an unlimited cap? I'm just kind of curious. A lot of them do. It's amazing, especially the ones that work with the nonprofit in terms of whether they're leadership or whether they're part of the board, they'll say unlimited. Because honestly, if you have even two transactions a day and they have to be uneven, right? I mean, you could set the app so it's a whole dollar roundup, but for the most part, it's 99 cents is the maximum roundup you can have on any transaction. So if you ran 100 transactions that were, let's say, uneven throughout the month, then you might get close to the $100. But on average, if it's unlimited, it's probably more about $45 a month. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit harder to get to that because every time it rounds up to the dollar. But out of your $100, yes, we'll take $15 and the remaining $85 will go to the nonprofit. We set that up because number one, that was about as low as we could go to support our team and the work that needs to be done. But also because we realize that the average cost of fundraising on a national level is anywhere from 25 to 40%. So we knew that we had to build this model way less than 25% to make it viable for the nonprofits to work with us because they have to answer to their donors at the end of the day. Right. And then that nonprofit, depending how efficient they are at their dollars, 100% of the 85 cents doesn't necessarily go directly to their cause. There's yet another administrative fee on top of that. Not always. A lot of the nonprofits that we work with, they spend some money on fundraising, but then beyond that, that money goes towards the programs directly. So when you sign on a nonprofit, they don't have to pay you. It's 100% upside for them. Yeah. They're paying you the 15%. That's it. There's nothing else on top of that. Well, okay. Now let me be very clear about it. So we charge a dollar for 
a new user sign up. When you sign up with us the first time, we will charge a dollar that first time because our technology providers charge us a dollar just to authenticate the account. I was going to say you have to test the card, right? Yeah. It's a one-time fee. It comes out of that as well, but that's it. But going forward on a regular basis, 15% period, that's it. No other fees. And we hope and we look for that the fact that the nonprofits use that towards their programs. We want to make it easy for them, right? So look, as you were bringing up for us, it's really important that we come together as communities and we provide these nonprofits with funding because we can all do that all together as a community on a global level or national level. And it's so easy for us to all donate the cost of a dinner or a lunch every month to our charities, but it adds up to so much. The spare change concept has been around for a long time. Ronald McDonald House has been collecting physical spare change at the cash register for years. Right. Wells Fargo did a big campaign a while ago as well. Yeah. And Bank of America has been doing the savings plan for a long time where you round up and contribute to your savings account. Ronald McDonald House, they raised about $30 million in physical spare change in one year from everything they collect in the cash boxes at the register. And are these nonprofits asking for the data of your users so they can solicit them directly? Or is that not part of the deal? We are providing that information and we leave it up to the nonprofit's discretion as to how much they're going to email the users. The users can select the preference not to be solicited at all by the nonprofit. So that's an option they have on the app. And we communicate that to the nonprofits if a user indicates that. But for the most part, nonprofits have really found a good balance to how much their users want to hear from them. And have you thought about going directly to companies to try to do enterprise-wide program versus consumer by consumer? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the ways to really get this out to the masses, right, besides spending a ton of dollars on the marketing, is to partner with corporations. So we would love to partner with corporations, and we are having the conversations where we can create employee roundup programs. So United Way, one of the great ways that they were able to become the number one charity in the U.S. was to take just a little bit of everybody's paycheck and keep adding that up and creating their funding. And everyone did it. I mean, everybody wants to give back if they can. So what we're saying is there's new models. People want to select the charity they're passionate about so we can still do employee roundup programs. So if a major corporation signs up with us, all their employees can give through the app. At the end of the year, we provide a report that says, here's all the giving your employees did. Corporation A, why don't you match all the donations? And by the way, you can do that. Just check this box off and we'll automate all those donations for you. And currently, I can get a report just by logging into my app. And then is there a way to promote that through social channels? You know, be proud about all that? Yes. So you get a monthly snapshot that says, thank you so much for your $20 donation, Aaron. We were able to provide 20 vaccines to children or medical needs to pets or homeless shelters for 20 nights for veterans that didn't have shelter before. So you get those messages and those can be easily shared on any social media channel to show how easy it is to give. That's super cool. So for frustrated, non-technical people out there, I have a side venture I'm working on right now and I'm working with developers who I love, but it's, as you know, and could probably attest to working with developers is different. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any tips or suggestions on how to get the best out of them so they are always on time, on budget, or close to on time, closer to on budget, and also mapping towards your vision? You're going to get me in trouble here. You know that. Don't worry. They're not listening. They're developing. They're just fine. They're not listening. <laughs> That's true. Yes, <laughs> no, so it's a great question, and it is very hard. 
it took us a little while to find the right developers to work with us. You know, we went through a few iterations of developers and teams to get to who we work with. I think it's really important to find someone that you align with in terms of expectations and they say they're going to do what they're going to do when they're going to do it. It's really important. So one of the things I learned from my developers were the sprints. So you basically have a plan for the month and you say, this is what's going to happen every week. And you hold them accountable to it, right? Like you also have to be accountable to follow up every week. And when I fall behind there, then of course the developers can fall behind as well. So if I have my call every week with them and say, okay, what did get done and what didn't get done? Why didn't it get done? There's usually reasonable explanations for it. It's not because they weren't working, but there's other things that come up. We account for that and then we plan going forward. So there's also short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals. And having to prioritize all the different things that need to get done is really the hardest part about it. So somehow, let's say that something goes wrong with the app, we have an issue. So then I tell the developer we need to fix the issue. Well, then three other things come out of it. So what actually needs to get done today versus that can get done tomorrow, which is kind of a longer term strategy solution. I mean, again, being a startup, we have to be so careful about how we spend our time and resources to get things done. I find that they kind of like having dogs and you've got squirrels and they like the bells and the whistles and you have to keep them focused because it could be super cool what they're doing, but it doesn't mean that it's part of the vision or it's accretive to the business there's so many cool things you can do right now. And for them, like what gets them excited is all the cool new features that come out so that they can add those. One of my developers, she's got these great ideas that she'd love to add. And we know that we need them. And we know that that would even help us go further and broader in terms of engagement. But we're just not ready to bring her on at that level to add those kind of secondary features. From a tech perspective, it's probably not secondary. It's probably primary. But for us, we just need to make sure the app's working correctly and we're doing what has to get done every day. I learned a new term from one of my clients who shall go unnamed, of course, because it's not a positive term called tech debt. I don't know if you're familiar with that, where basically your vision and your positioning as a company, regardless of what you're doing, is way, way, way ahead of what you're actually doing. And you're in debt from a tech standpoint, like your your technology isn't caught up to your vision yet. I thought that was kind of interesting. Wow. So that's kind of a a fact. Yeah, that's kind of a nightmare for me. So you never want to be in tech debt, but it's hard. And I think that there are a lot of developers out there. Like most things, you don't really know what you don't know, but you also don't know who's going to work for you until you start working at them because there's nothing that you can see in either a case study or work that they provide to you or even in an interview that's going to convince you until you actually start working together. So one thing I've learned is to phase things out. You don't give them everything. You give them things in phases. And then that then you break that down into those sprints that you talked about before. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. So in 1996, I was working on one of the first internet banking products. So basically, nobody really knew what internet banking was. I think Citibank PC might have been the only other one out there. And I literally had to develop the screens or the process that a user would go through to log into their account, view their account make transfers or whatever it might be. At that time, you couldn't even make withdrawals or anything like that. But it's pretty simple. And it was all blue screens with white boxes. So it wasn't really any UI, UX that we have today. It was pretty basic, but it was more about the process flow and the user entry. And I had to work with a tech group to do that. And it's so amazing how things have come full circle for me. Because at that time, I was like, no one's going to do internet banking. Their funds are going to get hacked. No one 
one's going to trust anything online. You know, it was a time where I just couldn't even envision banking being done. But here I was working in that project. And of course, years later, everyone's doing their banking online and they're just doing credit card numbers everywhere. Right. It's like so common now. Right. I guess they call them user stories, right? Like that pathway, that journey. Exactly. And it's super interesting to actually get to that level of detail and thought process. So as we developed CoinUp, I realized I was bringing back all of those kind of skills and thinking and that creativity to go through that process again to build our screens and the user flow, the user story, like you said. And the thing I've learned is I have a greater appreciation now for anytime I log into anything, which I'm constantly doing, whether it's a simple app like Strava or even Amazon, because there were so many human beings, interestingly, that were involved in the user story and the, like you said, user experience, the UX, the design, and they're constantly optimizing it. And now they're layering AI and machine learning and natural language processing to help you decide based on who you are, because I guess you don't know, and make better decisions that map towards your needs. And I have a much, much greater appreciation now than ever before for everything that's technology. I totally agree with you. And when you were talking about being the strategic person versus being the tech person, because I'm also not technology oriented, I'm the strategic person. Working with the tech group was so interesting in both scenarios because I would have these ideas and I could do them. And so the tech would respond, right? And they would build what we talked about. And they could almost never say no. They were able to build everything that you could come up with. But then there was this process where we had to go through to understand that tech might have a lot of great ideas to add to this. And how do we pull that out of them? How do they, because they may not see the big vision and how to add to that vision because they're so focused on just technology and building what you tell them to build. But if you give them a lot of creative bandwidth, they're like, oh, well, we can also do this. We can also go in that direction. And then it's a matter of this back and forth and then prioritizing again, what does need to get done and what's really going to help you grow and get to your next level. That is a constant struggle. But I think finding the right people over time, then you're both veered towards the same point where they're like, okay, we understand what you're trying to do. And we'll help you get there from the tech perspective while you're also from a strategic perspective, pushing them to their limits. Right now we're working on some really cool stuff and I'm pushing my team to the limits because most of the stuff that we've done has never been built before. So to explain the vision and it's like you're only looking at one side of the book, but you have to explain the whole entire book. (laughs) It's a challenge, but I love innovation. I mean, I think that's the common thread in my life that's kind of brought me to where I'm at. And are you self-funded or do you have outside funding? We are self-funded, but we are putting together our deck right now to go after some funding because we're really ready for the next level. We're just hitting walls with the team we have now. We're just ready to go to the next level in terms of team and technology features and strategy, you know, strategic partnerships and things like that. So we are really ready to go to that next level. And yeah, we'll start looking for some great strategic investors that would make sense for us. So note to all of those listening, however few of you you are. If you're an investor or if you're a nonprofit looking to get on the roster, pay attention. And then in terms of users, how many users do you have currently? We have thousands of users that have downloaded this app, which is so exciting to see it happen. And we've donated over 100,000 now in dollars. doesn't sound like a lot, but it's taken a lot more to get here. As you were saying, um, UI, UX even, we've had to rebrand those screens at least three times because we keep learning more about the user story. So there's a lot of things that make it, the whole process go a lot slower than you'd like it to. But I guess when you go backwards and you fix things and then you move forward, you're more confident about what you're building. So that's the good news about that. Have you had any, oh shit, kind of near-death experiences 
in the business or the app that you care to share where there's an interesting learning that came out of it? You know, every time competition comes out, you're like, oh no, you know, like they're going to take over and they're better. They look better. They, they have more customers. They've donated more. They have more charities. Yeah. We get intimidated, you know, and um, it's so easy to back off. But then same time, I think about the fact that there's a Pepsi Cola for a a Coca-Cola. There's a McDonald's for a Burger King. There's always, there's so much room for everybody in the market. It's okay. You know, if we all are doing the same thing to get to some social good, it's okay. Like I'm good with it because we're all working towards something good. So I don't mind the competition or I don't even want competitors. You know, it's more like, I don't mind (laughs) the other companies coming along and doing the same thing because we're all trying to get to the same win for the nonprofits. And that would just be a great thing to have happen during this process, whether it's us or all of our competitors, you know, we want it to happen for everybody because I think it'll make a big difference for the nonprofits at the end of the day. I feel like it's going to create this wholeness in our community that says, wow, look at what we can do together. We have this quote on our website from Margaret Mead. It's basically saying, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Right. So let's do that. (laughs) So speaking of that, was it kind of more coincidental that you happened to officially launch following a highly contentious presidential election in the U.S. where we've never been more divided than maybe since, I don't know, at some point in the 1800s and we know how that ended up? Or is is that just coincidental? Because there's a lot of theories and actually some studies that show that there's been more donations in the last three years, four years, than in the last 10 years in terms of percent of population and, and people who are, are either their outrage donations or they're just more active than ever before. Yeah. I mean, I think social media has a lot to do with it, right? Like we're, we're, we are exposed to so much more than we ever have been before. People are very passionate. Some people have been polarized in terms of what's happening. I wouldn't say our app has anything to do with any of that. It was really outside of all that the pure nonprofit social good world is separated from the political world to some degree, right? The political world, 501c4s, so they're very different organizations. And there's a lot of political organizations around that that support those different viewpoints. And those are not necessarily the nonprofits that or the, the uh, organizations that we have on board with us. Would you ever envision a separate division that was separate from this that was able to give to political organizations on all sides? Yeah, we've been approached by quite a few of them actually to do something like that. So definitely an option, definitely something we can do and open to more conversations about it. Yeah, I think that'd be really interesting. Listen, it was great having you on, Lena. And I know that you have a different, it's app or coinupapp.com. Coinupapp.com. So C-O-I-N-U-P-A-P-P.com is where you can learn more about the company and how to coin up for your charity and also where the charities can register with us and be one of our partners. Cool. Thanks again. Thank you so much. This is fantastic. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com, follow our Instagram at the Bop Podcast, and learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com. Mm-hmm.